Open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, but we have been studying uh, this summer in a series that we've entitled The Fruit of the Spirit, Ripen All Seasons, and uh, uh, the title, Ripen All Seasons, is the desire for us as Christians to be living out these fruit uh, in no matter uh, what phase of life we find ourselves in, whether there are good times or bad times, uh, whether we find ourselves new to the faith or, or a longtime member of the faith, that all of us are living out these nine incredible virtues in our lives. And today we look at the virtue of faithfulness, and I'm going to read our uh, key passage uh, that we've been going over uh, each of these weeks, and then I'll ask for God's blessing uh, on our time. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for uh, this time to gather and to worship. Lord, I'm thankful for the reminder of some of the worship songs that we have sung today, uh, that uh, you, our Redeemer, live. And that, Lord, uh, because you live and because you uh, rose from the grave, one day you will resurrect us from the grave and we will rise and one day we will stand and sing with the myriads of angels and the saints of old, worthy is the Lamb. We're reminded as well that we are sinners and in need of your grace. And Lord, uh, through this last song that we uh, heard, uh, the song of compassion, we're reminded of the love and mercy that you have shown uh, to your people. And Lord, we are so thankful for the compassion uh, that has been seen in our own salvation. While we were far from you, you sent your son Jesus to die that we might have life, the greatest gift of compassion that we can know. And so, Lord, now we come again to this passage of this fruit, nine different fruit that uh, are virtues in our lives. Lord, there are many vices that uh, trouble us. There are many things that keep us from an active walk with you. But, Lord, these nine things are things that when we abide in you and when we live for you are evidences of a changed life. And so, Lord, I pray for the people, uh, preacher and congregation included, Lord, uh, in this place that we would live out uh, these virtues of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, I pray that they would be marks of who we are. And today, Lord, I pray that we would be a faithful people, that we would learn uh, to know your faithfulness to us and in turn be faithful to those around us. Speak to us, challenge us, uh, encourage us with your word so that we can be like you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we look to Galatians chapter 5, we come to the word of faithfulness. And faithfulness isn't something we think about all that often. Quite frankly, uh, this wasn't an easy message to put together because there's not a lot written on the subject of faithfulness. And so uh, it is something, no doubt, that we can learn from. And the best way we can learn is to learn from our faithfulness with God. And as we do that, uh, we need to understand we live in a faithless or a unfaithful society. Uh, many of us live daily lives under a steady diet of unfaithfulness. 
We live in a world where promises are broken each and every day, where speaking the truth has fallen uh, by the wayside for the use of white lies or, or just blatant lies towards one another. We live in a world and a society where relationships are broken because people are not loyal and faithful uh, to one another. In fact, uh, to give you kind of a picture of this faithless society, one of the uh, most uh, selling uh, or best-selling Hallmark cards said the following in it. It said, I can't promise you forever, but what I can promise you is today. Now, I'm not sure what the card is meaning by that, other than maybe I don't know what tomorrow will bring, and so I promise you today. But I think our society lives by that mantra, this idea that don't expect something from me tomorrow because I may not be there for you, but at least I can tell you I'll be here today. Our faithfulness comes in small doses. Very rarely does it live itself out in great, immense amounts of time. And so we find ourselves living in a world of faithlessness, in a world of unfaithfulness, and we begin to ask the question, where do we find a faithful one? The Bible says in Proverbs that many people have talked about being faithful, but very hard is it, or very difficult is it, to find a faithful man. Uh, In our society, we struggle to find those who are faithful, and yet as Christians, we are called to be faithful people to be faithful in all our activities, in all our relationships. And the reason why we're called to such faithfulness is because our God in heaven is faithful. And if we are called to be like him, then we are called to be faithful just as he is. So how do we do that? Now, some think that to be faithful, it means you have to know a lot of the Bible. Uh, you have had to have studied, uh, and you've had to have been in church a long time. But let me tell you something. Faithfulness is something that we all can do. It doesn't take a degree. It doesn't take you needing to be brilliant or intelligent or articulate. It doesn't mean that you have to be handsome or eloquent. Faithfulness can be done by the youngest of children to the oldest of individuals. It is just a diligence that we must live to to say, I am going to be faithful in all things. It doesn't take anything more than that, than a conviction to say, I want to be like God in this way. But how are we to do it? How are we to be able to be faithful when it seems like the world's going the opposite direction? There are three things I need for us to explore this morning. And the first one that we must explore is that we must look at this attribute of God's. God is a faithful God. And so the first thing we need to understand is that there's an attribute of God's that we need to understand. One of the greatest hymns ever written was, Great is thy faithfulness. And it was written because of a man who had lost his job, who had no provision uh, of food or sustenance or provision, and God, day in and day out, through numerous people and in numerous ways, took care of him and his family in a time of great need. And so the hymn writer writes, great is thy faithfulness. He writes that the mercies are new every morning. And it was a story of how God had met his need over and over again. And yet as believers, we find ourselves not living out great is our, or thy faithfulness, but we live out great is our unfaithfulness. We are an unfaithful people. Even though God desires and commands us to live a faithful life, we find ourselves falling prey to the world and its unfaithfulness and find ourselves not pursuing a faithful life as God has called us to. 
And so we have to look at God. There's nobody else that we can look to except for God because he is completely faithful. Let's look at some scriptures that explain this. First of all, turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy has two passages I want us to look at very quickly this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 7 is the first one. Deuteronomy 7, and we're going to look at uh, verses 7 through 9. Deuteronomy 7 Verses 7 through 9. And this is what the Scripture tells us about our God. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. Now notice what he says. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Understand this. The one thing that we can know about God amongst his many attributes is that he is faithful. When he says something, when he promises something, when he articulates something, it is going to come to fruition Even though people will let us down, even though people will uh, speak lies to us, God is not one who lies, nor is God one who breaks his promises. God is completely faithful. Now turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 32. Just later on in the book, Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 and 4. As you're reading there, I'll give some context and start in verses 1 and 2. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 32, we'll start in verse 1. Listen, O heavens... And I will speak, hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. He says, a faithful God who does no wrong, Upright and just is he. Our God in his perfection is perfectly faithful. He is perfectly right, upright and just does justice perfectly. And here we see in this passage that we are to proclaim God and proclaim the greatness of God for his faithfulness. When was the last time you proclaimed God for his faithfulness? If God wasn't faithful, understand this. If he uh, lies to us, if he didn't keep his promises, we would lose out on using Scripture for anything. They would be empty words, words of vain promises that mean nothing to us because this God doesn't keep his promises. This God doesn't do what he says he is going to do. But that is not the case. Turn in your Bibles for a moment to Psalm 33. Because God is completely faithful, then everything that he says we can trust and is completely trustworthy. In Psalm 33, 4, we see this true as the psalmist says. Psalm 33, uh, verse, verse 4. Psalm 33, 4, it says the following. For the word of the Lord is right and true. Why is it right and true? Because God is faithful in all that he does. 
Can you say that about your life today? That you are completely faithful in all that you say and do? Turn for a moment to Psalm 145, 13, just to give us a basis of who this God that we serve and worship is, starting in verse 13, and we'll see what, uh, what he says there. He says in verse 11, Then they will tell of the glory of your kingdom, And speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your domain uh, dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. We can trust the word of God because God is faithful. Now, the scripture speaks over 60 times on the faithfulness of God. Faithfulness in the good times, as we've seen in the psalmist. In fact, uh, the vast majority of these uh, are written in the book of Psalms. The faithfulness of God as the psalmist cries out and, and, and proclaims his greatness and how faithful he's been. But who can forget Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the prophet that nothing seemed to go right with. The people of Israel didn't want to listen to him. And he devotes a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations to lamenting uh, the people of God and their rebellion towards our great faithful God. And even in the hardest of times, in Lamentations chapter 3, let me read that for us. Lamentations chapter 3, it, it tells us the following. It says in verse uh, 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. In good times and in bad, in plenty and in lack, we can always look to God because he is completely and utterly faithful to meet us right where we're at and give us all that we need to sustain us in this thing called life. And we can believe that because he's been faithful through it. Now, we could spend all, all week long focused in on these 60 passages and we will never do due diligence to the understanding of our faithful God. So I want to look at three very quickly. The first thing that we see when we look at God's faithfulness is we see it in his sustaining of creation. In his sustaining of creation. In Psalm 146, verse 6, it says the following. Psalm 146, verse 6 says, let me turn there. It says, uh, blessed is is who, blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in him. The Lord who remains faithful forever. The psalmist says God has created everything. And as a result of him creating everything, he didn't just leave it there and go on some celestial vacation. But the scripture says in Colossians 1.17 that it is Jesus Christ who holds everything together. And so what we need to understand is God's faithfulness is seen in the very aspect of that we're still here. That we have oxygen to breathe. That the sun rose this morning and it will set this evening. That the stars are where they need to be. That each molecule and everything that has uh, been created is in its place. Have you ever thought of what would happen the moment that God said, you know, I'm tired of being the faithful God, kind of like a tired mom. I'm tired of doing this. I I want a vacation. I want out of here. Could you ever imagine what would happen if for one nanosecond God said, I just don't want to be God anymore? The calamity that would take place? 
the utter uh, disaster and devastation that would happen. Uh, celestial uh, bodies uh, and galaxies would collapse and there would be just chaos throughout the world. And little do we praise God for his faithfulness in sustaining all that he's created. He's got it. The weather patterns, everything that we see in the sky and on the ground is sustained by God. C.S. Lewis once uh, was looking out on an English uh, uh, sunrise in the morning in England, and uh, he looked out and he began to write down in his notebook how marvelous it was all that God must do to put in order a sunrise. And he came at the bottom, this great, just immense thinker of the 20th century, at the bottom of his page, after filling page after page of notes about the greatness of God, he says, wow, God, you did it again. Have you ever looked at a sunrise or a sunset and said, God, you did it again? You didn't have to, but you did. You made that yellow ball come back up into the sky. Scientists tell us if it's uh, one mile over to one side or one mile over to the other, we're either going to freeze to death or we're going to burn up. But God's got it just right so that we can get a little tan and we don't become deep fried chickens. Have you ever said, God, that's amazing? We have just the right amount of oxygen and not too much carbon dioxide. And the one thing that would kill us and the one thing that we need is in perfect balance. And the moment that we would lose out on that, we would lose our lives. God says, I've got it. Everything's taken care of. And I will be faithful every breath that you six billion people take. You're going to be taken care of. Do we ever stop and say, wow, God, you did it again. I know I don't. I know I've got my brother John Pilkington's in the in the congregation this morning and he loves looking at the stars. And he tries to get me to look at the stars and and, and I say, you know what, it just doesn't do anything for me. And that's wrong. I need to be wowed by the faithfulness of God. That when we look up one night and we see the Big Dipper, the next night we come back and it's still there. God is faithful. If we don't see that in the faithfulness of God, we're going to miss out on his faithfulness to us. The hymn writer puts it this way. He says, summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. This is what Jesus was saying, that if we don't worship God for his creation, the rocks will cry out. The trees are clapping their hands because of the faithfulness of God. God, you allow us to go through a time of slumber, and at the right time, with the right elements of weather, you allow us to bud. Great is your faithfulness. And yet us, the pinnacle of creation, we lack the desire or the uh, want to worship with them and say, God, you are a faithful God. If God ceased to be faithful for a moment, we would die. We would cease to exist. And never do we ever think about that and praise him for it. God is faithful. Notice the second thing. It isn't just his sustaining of creation, but it's his saving uh, us from our sins. Scripture declares in the book of, especially the book of Ephesians and the book of Romans, that we were saved before the foundations of the earth. What we talk about is the great theological term of election. That it wasn't that when we bowed the knee to Jesus that we were saved, but the Bible says that we were saved in Christ Jesus. We were chosen before the foundations of the world. 
And so what we need to understand is God has been faithful. He chose us and those whom he loves to then bring us to a place that we would bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And through that, he says that he will present us without stain or blemish before his Father in heaven. Now, he says that I who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, is faithful to see it to the day of completion. Now, we need to understand something. While God is completely faithful, you know what we're doing during that time? We are completely faithless. We are pursuing everything else. And God says, I love you. I loved you in the past. I love you in the present. And I'm going to love you in the future. So how does he do it? The first thing that we see is that he saves us. He saves us, and he doesn't just save us and say, all right, I save you now, and I know I've told you that you can't do anything that will separate me from the love of Christ. Aren't you glad that when you get to heaven, God isn't going to say, Tim, yeah, Tim, yeah, I know you read the book of Romans, but we had a discussion up here, me and the other two uh, persons of the Godhead, and we changed the requirement. It's not just salvation by, by grace through faith. You needed to sing a lot more than you did. And we didn't put it in there, but Amanda's in. She's in there. She's, wave, Amanda. But you didn't sing enough. We changed the rules. Aren't you glad that God is faithful in his promises? That when he says, you trust in me, you believe in me, I give you the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on my name, that we can hold true and say, God is faithful. He's not going to change his mind. He isn't going to be capricious in his desires or thoughts. And so we can hold true to what he says, knowing that we stand before God, that we will stand confident before him and say, I don't stand on anything else but the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and I believe by faith that you are son was the son of God and he is my savior and lord and I know without a shadow of a doubt because my God is faithful that he will say well done good and faithful servant come and enjoy eternity forever but notice it isn't just that God holds his end of the bargain here we are completely unfaithful we turn and we pursue other things. The children of Israel are a perfect example of this. The faithfulness of God. If you want to read about the faithfulness of God amidst sin, read the book of Hosea. Hosea, a prophet of God who marries a prostitute. His wife is out and sleeping with everybody. And he is a faithful husband. He goes time in and time out, takes her from the arms of other men, cleans her up, and presents her as his wife just for her to turn back and do it again. And the picture is, is God being faithful to an adulterous people. And so what does God do? Well, God says, I'm going to be faithful in some other things. I'm just not going to see you in the end and let you in, but I'm going to help you through the process. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, let's see here, chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. How is God faithful? God knows that we are a unfaithful people. He knows that we are going to pursue things that we shouldn't. And so God says, I'm going to be faithful with you in that as well. In Psalm, I'm sorry, First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse uh, 11 says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now notice what he says. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. How is he faithful? 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This faithful God says, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain, but I know you're not. And so what I'm going to do is I am going to always, say that with me, always, let's do it one more time like you believe it, always, that was really good, always give you a way of escape. So when you are thinking about being unfaithful to God, he says, I'm always going to give you an off-ramp. You can never say, as my children do, I I couldn't help myself. Yes, you can, because God is faithful. And so any time that sin comes and we have a decision, am I going to be faithful to God or am I going to be unfaithful? God says, hey, it isn't a decision that you cannot not make. It's a decision that I've given you a provision because I'm faithful in all times and in all types of temptation to give you that ability to say no to sin. You have a way of escape. Now, God is faithful even when we don't take that way of escape. So here goes Tim. And Tim's with a faithful God. And he sees a temptation, and Tim makes a decision, unlike you, of course. Tim makes a decision to pursue the temptation. Now Tim's stuck because God said, I'd be faithful to give you a way out. You didn't take it. Now you're up a creek. Nice job, Tim. Way to go. But that's not what God does. God is, and I want to say the phrase again, utterly faithful. Why is he utterly faithful? Because even when I am unfaithful, he comes through and is faithful. 1 John 1, 9. That when we sin, if we confess our sin, if we go the way uh, of temptation instead of taking the off-ramp that God has been faithful in giving us, if we confess that sin, what is he doing? He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Even when we are completely unfaithful, God is completely faithful. I know I've said unfaithful and faithful a lot, but I want you to understand this. God is always doing what he says he's going to do, even when we choose not to. And for that reason, the third thing that we see is that God's faithfulness is seen in every story found in Scripture. I love what Jerry Bridges says uh, in regards to this subject. He says, the Bible is an entire treatise on this theme. God's faithfulness is seen in precept or illustration on almost every page. It is impossible to describe the acts of God without in some way touching upon his faithfulness to his own. Every scripture, every story that we read speaks of God's faithfulness. Think about it. Adam and Eve... They choose the way of temptation. And God, even before he records it by the hand of John, is completely faithful not to uh, keep them in their sin, but make an opportunity for their sin to be covered, for their shame to be covered, as he sacrifices that first animal to take care of the covering of their sin. Think of Noah and Abraham, all of these great men and women of the faith of the Old Testament and their great stories are stories of God's faithfulness. And yet, they're also stories of man's unfaithfulness. Man sins, God comes to the rescue. Man is disobedient, God makes a way. Even though we, it says in Genesis chapter 6 that every heart or inclination of the heart was to do evil in the days of Noah, God was faithful, faithful in his administering of justice, but also faithful in his administration of grace. And so he destroys a whole world, but he saves a family. And through a family, that grace allows all of us to be here today.
God is faithful even when we're faithless. And it's seen in all of the stories of the Scripture. We are inundated with this powerful example of how God has shown us His faithfulness. Now, there are many people who will desire to profess faithfulness. I'm a follower of Christ, and I want to be a faithful person. But many are unwilling to pay the price. Did you know faithfulness costs you? Did you know that it costs God a lot to be faithful to what he promised? Think about for a moment, had he in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he says that um, the offspring that would come from the woman would uh, crush the head of the serpent and he would bruise uh, this Messiah's heel. What if midway through the Old Testament, he said, I know in Genesis 3.15 I prophesied about my son coming to pay the price, but I changed my mind. Aren't you glad that when God said, I'm going to do something, that he did it? And yet we desire to be like that, but it costs us. It costs maybe what we're planning on doing, or it may cost us more than we would ever uh, know uh, would cost us as a result of having to stay true to what we have said. And so there are a couple things that we need to look at. First of all, we need, or second of all, we need to look at there are three aspects to God and his faithfulness. There are three aspects. If we can turn the, the uh, slide there, uh, we look at the three aspects of, of faithfulness, and it's seen in a couple things, three things in particular. First of all, when we talk about faithfulness, we have to speak of faithfulness in the way of absolute honesty. It involves absolute honesty. We cannot be faithful like our God is faithful if we are not honest and that there isn't integrity in the things that we say. Proverbs 12.22 says that God detests lying lips. Do you know how much we lie Have you ever sat down and really thought about it through the day? How many lies that you've told? And I don't mean just the, you know, the real humdingers of of lies, but some of the white lies, some of the things that you say just to get your your, uh, annoying uh, four-year-old off your back. Yeah, 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 I'll be there, I'll be there. And you have no intention of doing anything. You haven't even heard what they've said. I know you're there. I know you live there because I do. And I'll tell them, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, 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 Go, go away, go away. And we do these things. But it's not just lying and saying something that you know not to be true, but it's exaggerating. Some of you fishermen have caught fish this big. Uh, it's this big. This big. Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we live that out? I had a, an employee at work tell me a couple weeks ago, told the whole, uh, the whole group of us that were at work that he had gotten third place in this uh, archery tournament. And we're like, wow, that, that's amazing. You haven't been doing it that long, and, and that's really impressive, and that's great. And, and what I found out later in asking him some questions, there were only three people in the competition. You know what that did for our whole understanding? The guy could have been, I could have gotten third place in a, thir- in a three-way competition. And I've never shot a bow in my life. See, I've never shot an arrow. I don't even know what you shoot. And yet we do those things. Why? Because we want people to think that we're something more than we really are. And the reason why is because we don't believe God is faithful to take care of us. If I really believe God's going to take care of everything I need, then why do I need to exaggerate about who I am to others? Because I don't believe God is faithful. And so I take care of some of God's job for me. I say, you know what, God, you know, you're not talking enough. I'm not getting enough press clippings. And so I'll, I'll change the story a little bit. 
I'll exaggerate it a little bit. I'll stretch it enough. It's going on. I was reading a book right now uh, called Comeback Churches, and uh, it was done, uh, a guy named Tom Rayner from the Southern Baptist Convention said, uh, we, we, we surveyed 50,000 churches, and he says, the first thing that we learned is that pastors exaggerate the attendance. And uh, they said that on average, a pastor exaggerates his attendance upwards to twice the amount that are actually in the churches. And he says, you know how hard it is to actually do a a book about churches that have come back from plateau or stagnant places? We don't know who's telling the truth and who's not. That's sad. That's sad, even when it comes to the ministry of God. And boy, we do this, don't we? How many did you have at church today? We had 800, and just so you know, I'm counting the 600 cars that went by. You can't include those? I mean, they were close. They were on our property for a while. We do have a eminent domain of half of 47, just so you're aware. And so anybody who drove by there, they were at worship. We have Jim Millette out there counting each one of them. We love when the bus drives by. And we exaggerate. And we laugh and we say it's funny, but we do this all the time. We do this with our work. We do this with our kids. We do this in all types of things. And absolute honesty is what God is calling us to with our mouth. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't exaggerate things when he was here on earth? Aren't you glad that he didn't promise things that he knew he couldn't take care of? The scripture says in John, I believe it's John chapter 7, he asked the Pharisees, he says, show me one way that I've broken the law. In one way I've transgressed the law. Aren't you glad that he didn't? That he was able, everything that he says is completely true. That he didn't exaggerate something to say it was the greatest thing in the world. Have you ever heard someone say, you got to go to this movie, the greatest movie in the world. You'll love it. It's great. It's awesome. You'll be on the, seat of your, uh, on the edge of your seat the whole time, and you get there, and it's the most boring thing you've ever been a part of. I am so glad that when we get to heaven, it's going to be even better than what, God, what Jesus Christ said it was. That with our finite minds and our ability to understand what he was saying, it's going to be better. Paul, when he had gone to the abode of God, it says, into the third heaven, he was caught up. He says, I saw things that were inexpressible for a man to articulate. It's better than what I heard. And yet God is completely faithful in those things. He doesn't exaggerate. He doesn't lie. Notice the next thing that we see in this, and that is utter dependability. When we talk about faithfulness, we're talking about being dependable. We're talking about being dependable. Faithfulness isn't just seen in our words, but it's seen in our action. Christians, my brothers and sisters, we should be people that when someone says, who can I depend on, you in your circle of family and friends say, it is this person. Tim Bedall is a guy you can depend on. He's the guy when the going gets tough, he's going to be there for you. He's going to be there even when it's inconvenient for him to be there. This dependability is first seen in our God. God is completely dependable. He is one who's committed, even when it cost him, even when it was inconvenient, God was there for us. And so let me ask you this, are you dependable when it comes to God? Can God depend on you? When God puts in your heart that that individual that you're sitting across on the train on the way to work, and he says, hey, there's an opportunity. That person's uh, reading a, uh, a book about spiritual things. There's an opportunity. Are you dependable to say, yes, Lord, I hear it, and I'm going to do it? 
Are you dependable when it comes to the ministry in your church that you're actively serving and ministering, being uh, able to have people depend on you and minister as you minister? This begins with us. It begins with us saying, I will be faithful in all the things that God has called me to. I love what Psalm 15 says. I'll read it for us here. Psalm 15 verse 1 and then in verse 4 says something I'd never seen before. I was sharing this with Amanda And Psalm 15 says the following. The first thing is, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? What a great question. Who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? And this is what he says in verse 2. Those whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks truth from his heart, who has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong, who casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man, who fears the Lord. Now listen to what number uh, nine is. Number nine is who keeps his oath even when it hurts. So your friend calls you to move. Hey, I'm moving and uh, I need help to move. And you say, no problem, man. What are friends for? When are you moving? Uh, Monday night, uh, seven o'clock. Everything's great until you get the phone call that you've been invited to go to the big game in Chicago with free tickets, great tickets. And now the question is, are you going to be dependable? So what do we do? We know we can't be dependable, so what do we do? We lie. And we say, I'm sorry, I can't make it. I'm I'm sick. I'm feeling uh, a little down. Uh, I'm I'm not just not, my back is hurting me. And your friend says, okay, and they may not know anything the wiser, and you go to the baseball game or you go to wherever, what's better? Many of people have uh, given up on tasks. Our, our teenagers no doubt learn this. You say you're going to go babysit, and then you find out that uh, the high school quarterback invites you to the big dance that day. You weren't planning on going, but now the quarterbacks asked you to go. And so you make up a lie. You come up with something instead of being dependable and say, you know what, I can't do the dance this time. I've already made a commitment And I'll tell you, this is huge. It's huge in the church. We have a very difficult time finding people to serve in the church because they're busy doing other things or they've committed to something and then they don't follow through. We need to be dependable, not so people can say, wow, what a dependable guy or gal you are, but because God is dependable and we want to be like God. So it involves honesty, dependability, and finally, loyalty. The final way we can be faithful is seen in our relationship with others, especially with those that are most close or closest to us, our family and friends. We need to kind of we need to live the kind of loyalty that was seen in the life of Jonathan and David. Even though everyone seemed to hate that relationship, especially Jonathan's dad, Saul, uh, and no one wanted them together, they were loyal to one another. They stayed true to one another. When we talk about spouses, we talk about the need to be faithful. Or if someone has cheated on their spouse, we say they are unfaithful. We need to be loyal to those things. True to the commitments that we've had. Even when it seems unpopular to stand next to a friend, to be with a friend, we need to be loyal to them. I told the first church service this. Some years ago, uh, or just about a year and a half ago, a new person came to the church. And they had done some Googling and information uh, about, the, uh, about the church. And they had seen my name connected with uh, another pastor. 
and, uh, and they had seen that I was friends with the pastor. And they said, uh, you know, hey, what's your relationship like with this guy? And I knew what was coming because uh, I don't agree with everything that my pastor friend does or says. And, and he says, well, you know, are you going to say you're his friend? Because if you're his friend, I'm, I'm going to go find a new, new place to go to church. I, I can't stand by that guy. And I said, you know what? I said, I don't agree with everything my friend does or says, but I'll tell you what, he's my friend and I love him, and if I lose you as a potential uh, person to the church, I'm sorry, but I cannot and I will not uh, backstab my friend for the sake of someone else. And here's the reason why. You wouldn't want me to do the same thing to you. And so what kind of pastor would I be if I did, if someone new comes into you and says, oh, I don't like the Johnsons. They're not very nice people. Are you friends with the Johnsons? Because you're friends with the Johnsons. We've got to go to some other church. Well, God bless you. Go to another church. And that man never came back. And you know what? I feel completely fine because of that. Because I don't want my friends to do that to me. I don't want God to do that to me. And that's not what God does. God is faithful even when I'm not. And when the devil comes and accuses uh, Timbadal of the rotten things that I do, and the devil says, hey, he says you're one of his friends. He says that you died for him. God doesn't say, oh, I don't know who he is. God says he's one of mine. Leave him alone. You don't like it? My son paid for that sin that you're talking about. Brothers and sisters, we need to be loyal to one another. We need to be loyal. And that doesn't mean, please hear me, it doesn't mean we need to be in agreement with everything. It doesn't mean we turn a blind eye that a good, real friendship is one that critiques, is one that evaluates. I have a wife that evaluates me all the time, and I'm thankful for it. There's not a sentence that goes by that my wife doesn't have her radar up, and, and, and if they're wrong words, that she challenges me. If they're good words, that she encourages me. I love that kind of friendship. I don't want my wife to tell me every time, that was a great sermon, Tim, you never do anything wrong. You're just wonderful. You're just great. First of all, I know she's lying. And second of all, that she's not, it's, it's not good for me. I need people around me who are going to speak honestly. The Bible says that a word of critique from a friend is better than kisses from an enemy. That's the kind of loyalty we need to show one another in this church and in the world around us so that people can see what a real friend is. That's why the, the hymn writer says, what a friend we have in Jesus. We need to understand that Jesus, yes, he is this transcendent God, but he's our friend, and he loves us just as a friend would. So where do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? Let's go to our third point, and I'm going to move quickly through this. The final thing that we see is the areas where faithfulness is needed most. Where do we need to be faithful? What areas need it the most? There's a couple of them. First of all, we need to be most faithful in our walk with God. We need to be most faithful in our walk with God. What that means is that we've committed to some things as a believer. We've committed to obey God and his word. Be faithful in it. Stop falling to sin. Stop pursuing the temptation. And you've said that, Lord, I want to live for you. Lord, I'm bowing the knee to you. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior, and I want to live for you. Then do it. Like I said, it doesn't take any spiritual gifting. It takes a diligence to live like God has called us to and to be faithful to it. When was the last time you opened uh, the Word of God uh, without your pastor telling you to? When was the last time you prayed? 
You cried out. God is faithful in seeing uh, prayers happen. The Bible says that Christ himself intercedes for his children day and night. When was the last time you modeled Christ-like diligence in interceding for your friends or loved ones or a person who doesn't know about the gospel? Oh, this is something we need to teach our children. Here school is starting. The fall activities are beginning. And I am saddened at at where we're at as a people because we're more focused in on making sure our children are faithful to their studies and to their activities. And very rarely do I hear people, not just here but everywhere, ever talk about how they're teaching their children to be faithful in their walk with God. Let me tell you something. It's not because I don't carry a lot of degrees with me. If my children fail every class but humbly walk with their God, I will die a blessed man. If my children don't, my son lost in soccer yesterday. It was like 27 to 1 or something like that. If that happened and I went to game after game after game for the rest of my life, and that's what he did, and that's just how he was in athletics, and yet he walked with his God, I would walk away feeling like I have the greatest kid in the world. And yet we define our children's successes, on what they do in the classroom, on what college they go to. You want to see a blessed mom and dad? You show me a mom and dad who have children that are walking with God. Now, that doesn't mean, children, that you don't have to study in school. It doesn't mean that you don't, shouldn't strive at excellence. But understand, put it into perspective. Let's get our walks with God straight. Let's be faithful to that before we're faithful with something else. Number two. We need to be uh, faithful in our walk with God. We need to be faithful with our words. I've articulated this, but I want to bring it back. We cannot be faithful in proclaiming the gospel if we're a bunch of liars or those who exaggerate. If you exaggerate a lot, if you lie a lot, what is going to make anybody believe what you say about Jesus to be true? Think about it. If you're just exaggerating all the time, everything's the greatest, everything's the best, then what happens when you tell people that Jesus is the best? Well, you told me that that movie was the best. You told me that that restaurant was the best. Now, Jesus, what are people going to believe? If you're lying all the time, why would they believe you when you say that you know the way, the truth, and the life? If all you have to do is just go through your life lying, you're missing out on it. Make sure that you are true to your word in all aspects of it. Number three, be faithful in your life after the wedding. Be faithful in your life after the wedding. You have committed, if you're a husband or a wife here, you have committed yourself to certain things. You've committed you'll have no eyes for anyone else. You've committed that you're not going to pursue emotional attachments and physical attachments with anyone else. What it means is that we are going to be faithful in our commitments. Husbands, what that means is that you can't be looking at other women. You can't be dreaming about other women. Your focus and your desire should be for your wife and your wife alone. And that means if the woman's in the room or she's on a TV or a computer screen, it is out of bounds. And when you do that, you are showing your unfaithfulness and not living according to it. Women, be careful you don't give your heart to anything or anyone else but your husband. You've committed that to him. And be careful that nothing takes his place in that way. This is the most important earthly relationship we have. And yet 50% of the marriages that take place in this country end in divorce because people are not desiring to be faithful but would rather be unfaithful in their life after the wedding. How about in the well-being of our children or well-being of the family? Parents, care for your kids. 
Be faithful to protect them. Provide for them. Be faithful in your discipline with them. Don't give them everything they want, but give them everything that they need. Make your family a priority. This is hard. I was given an opportunity to go and uh, uh, just this last week to go and teach uh, just north of Moscow for about 10 or 12 days. And I, I love seeing ministry opportunities. And I've been reading a book about A.W. Tozer, a guy that I love, a very well-known pastor who, who died in the 1960s. And this guy was great in his ministry, known, he's very famous, and he was a terrible dad and husband. His wife wrote, uh, my first day she had remarried after he died, and she wrote this in a diary that then was published. Be careful, never write something in a diary if you don't want it to be published. She wrote in there some telling words. My first husband loved the Lord with all his heart. My second husband loved me with all his heart. Now you say, well, it's good that he loved He did love the Lord, A.W. Tozer did, but he didn't care about his wife in a lot of ways. So I'm reading this, and this great ministry opportunity comes. And you know what I had to ask myself? When was the last time I took 10 to 12 days for my family? And before I go and start doing more ministry, I better invest some more time with family. You know how hard that was to say no? But we need to care and be faithful to our family. Fathers and mothers, what that means is is be faithful to your kids. When you tell them you're going to go bowling on Monday night, go bowling on Monday night. Let them know that you're being honest. Now, that doesn't mean every time it's going to happen, but let them know that they're they're number one in their priorities over work and hobbies and things like that. There are going to be times where you're going to have to say, no, son, I have to break a promise. Uh, And that's okay. But you better make sure that it's earthly impossible for you to get to that. Put your family where it needs to be. Work. I'm going to speak as an employer. (laughs) Be the best employee you can be. Be a joy for your, uh, let, let your work be a joy to your employer. Always be true in your business transactions. Be loyal to your superiors. Allow them to see that you're not just serving them, but you're serving Christ, as the Scripture says. Don't steal time or money from your employer. Be diligent at all times. The hardest thing for me as a small business manager is employees. Did you know that? I lose sleep over employees. I don't lose sleep over anything else. Are they stealing from me? Are they doing what I'm telling them to? And I try to be the best employer I can be, and they drive me absolutely crazy. And you as employees do that as well. Be the best employee you can be. Be faithful. That means be on time. That means don't take time away just to go do whatever, but do the task before you, remembering that you're not serving the company, but you're serving Christ. It was once said that people in Chicago, I don't know if it's true today, but that people in Chicago were always looking for Moody Bible Institute students to uh, employ. John, you heard about this? That's true, right? That employers would always take Moody Bible Institute uh, as employees because they knew that there was integrity. They knew there was honesty. How great would it be for your employer to say, you know what, I don't know him real well, but Bob, man, he... He is a man of integrity. That man works hard for me. Oh, how we would change our workplaces if we would just be Christ in our faithfulness to our jobs. Finally, in our witness, we must remain faithful to the Great Commission. And that means we need to ask the question, when was the last time I shared the gospel with anybody? 
In a couple weeks, we're going to start asking you to be inviting your friends to come to church, to be a part of worship. And the question will be, will you be faithful to that call and asking someone to come? 87% of all people come to church because of a personal invite from a friend. People are dying to want to be invited. And you say, well, I don't think they want to. Have you invited them? Have they said no? Then you've got a place to stand. But I can assure you, if you are a faithful friend, anybody would want to come and be a part of what has made you that faithful friend. And if you say it's Jesus Christ, then I can assure you, any friend, they may not make it a long-term thing, but they'll come and be a part of what you've asked them to. We must be committed and faithful in our witness before Christ Jesus. Let me close with this. Millions of people each year travel hundreds of miles to see a phenomenon at a national park that, obser- that observers say is utterly amazing. The faithfulness of a geyser called what? Old Faithful. Because every 90 minutes or so, it does what it has done for some time, and that is it blows out wonderful streams of water to the amazement and joy of people. People come to see the faithfulness of this geyser, and they are brought amazement and joy as a result of it. Let me tell you this. A faithful friend is difficult to find. And if we are faithful to the gospel, faithful to our God, and faithful to the people around us, I can assure you, you will bring forth joy and amazement to the people around you. Live faithful lives so that God will be brought glory in your words and in your walk and in your life so that people will see God in all that you do. Let's pray. Father God, we come before and we thank you for your word. I thank you for what it has taught me and what it has taught your people. Lord, we desire to be faithful, and it's not easy. We're prone to wander away from you. We're prone to leave the one that we love. So, Lord, we pray as the hymn writer says, take our heart and seal it. Take it and seal it for the courts above. Lord, we want to be faithful as you are, and we need your spirit to do it. So, Lord, if it's in our words and in our honesty, Lord, change our heart so that out of the overflow of the heart, our mouth would speak truth, not falsehoods. If it's, Lord, in our dependability of the promises that we've made, Lord, make us dependable, dependable for you, dependable for your church, dependable for the people around us who need us the most so that they will know that in their time of crisis, in their time of trouble, we are there just as you are there for us. Lord, if it's our loyalty in our service and care for those that are closest to us, that we would be reminded that you never leave us nor forsake us, And that we too would be a faithful friend who never leaves or forsakes those that we love the most. That we would show a a loyalty uh, to one another that comes from you. Lord, that, that we would see this in every facet of our lives. Again, Lord, so that people will see that we're different. Lord, we're gonna leave this place and we're going to go into a world that is unfaithful in its promises, in its desires, in its pursuits. Lord, let us be different. Let us be the faithful people that you've called us to so that we may dwell in the most holy place, that we may enter into your courts with singing and praising because we have lived up to what you've called us to, to be faithful in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless all of you. Go in the peace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, getting to know those around you. Missed.